Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Dom Giordano on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome in, everyone. Boy, a number of things dropping today. Some uh, great guests. Just a shout-out, though, Dan, to Penn professor Dr. Mohammed Awaga Mahami, a physician and professor at Penn. I'm watching footage of him along with students. I'm not sure if they're his or not at a Penn bulletin board. I think that's Penn property. Not only ripping down those ghastly, we're one month into the uh, October 7th attack. Today's the anniversary, one month. Those pictures of these poor children and others kidnapped by the savages of Hamas. Dan, he brought scissors with him to do it. Way to go, doctor. This guy's a surgeon. Now, he's welcome to come on and tell us why we can go to hell, and it's his right to bring scissors to this in front of students who apparently know him. (sighs) What was he going to cut their faces? Doctor, what were you cutting with the scissors? Right. Why the scissors? Yeah, it looks like I'm not sure if they're surgical scissors or not. I can't tell. He's a pathologist. Doc. What's he looking for? Why do you need the scissors? See, I am the master of the detail. It's not just ripping down of things. I see the scissors right away. What's this guy carry scissors with him? Are those uh, scissors committing a hate crime, doctor? (laughs) No, and the question is, what's Penn going to do about it? Is that a First Amendment thing? And if you were a Jewish student in, in this guy's class, any student, but a Jewish student, how would you feel that this maniac's walking around with scissors planning this, that he's going to cut down these uh, posters put up of children that are held captive by Hamas? What's with the scissors, Doc? That's what I'd like to know. But I'm so confused. Aren't these things, like, stapled to things? Uh, yeah, or sometimes they're taped. So I don't know. So do Maybe this guy's a poor pathologist. He's bringing uh, scissors. He, to like, a... like cut them in half so you yeah. can tear them. No, he wants it's to like take an extra want... step, man. He, he's got more hatred. He wants to cut them in half. That's what yes. it is. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he wants to surgically. That's the first question I, I would ask. Why the hell the scissors, you clown? Sorry about <laughs> that, you doctor clown. That's the question I'd like to have answered here. Maybe he'll... Uh, Pick up on this and tell us. And if he says it's Why? not true, that it's not him, well, then we'd love to know that and clear his name. I just want to know about the scissors. Can you back up a sec? This is a yeah. professor? He's a professor and a doctor. What? Imagine if this guy is your doctor. He's a pathologist, though. So I, I don't think he has too many complaints that we can tell. Now, wait a minute. If he's a pathologist, he might be a pathologist working with the city of Philadelphia or some state. See, see who he works is with. Is a pathologist a liar? No, a pathologist is uh, someone who works with the uh, cause of death. Pathological liars. I'm so okay. here's the thing. His name is spelled A-L-G-H-A-M-D-I. If he works with the city of Philadelphia or any government public agency, well, let's find out where he works. And then uh, <laughs> let's call them and ask them. Send them a bunch of scissors. What do they have to say? Yes, or I can say we're going to have 5,000 people send you a pair of scissors. 
Uh, for, there, there's a show on Fox called Firefly, and uh, yeah. it's protest. A bunch of fans, when they canceled the show, it sent like uh, just buckets of peanuts uh, as a reference to the show. It's uh, we, yeah, a bunch, done, of, bunch of scissors. We've done stuff like that, tea bag yeah. stuff over the years to people. <laughs> I want to know, see if you can find out where he works, and uh, maybe we'll give him a call during the course of it and ask them to come on and explain why this guy's bringing scissors and ripping down posters. I think he's just a pen medicine straight up physician. Well, it says he's a pathologist. I'm reading right here. It says he's, yeah, he's a physician board certified. So he's a, the, in the Department of Pathology Laboratory Medicine. Okay. My question is, does he take on Jewish patients? Does he treat them any differently? Yes, exactly right. So he he just teaches pathology. He's a doctor, though. Well, you can practice at the Penn Medicine facility. Well, that's what I'm asking, yeah. Yeah, that's what... I mean, Payne's going to have to answer if we get this going here of uh, this guy and uh, maybe the Jewish groups ought to cause to and asked. Uh, maybe they wouldn't want anyone Jewish to be examined by this guy in the Department of Pathology. I wouldn't. I don't I don't want this guy to be anywhere near. But bringing scissors to it. This is a new level of idiocy. All right, we'll continue to uh, probe this a little bit more with the doctor. You can always hit me uh, with an email, whatever, or tell Dan. If you have any information on this guy, we'd like to talk with him. All right, uh, now, today, Election Day. I I will talk a lot today about, finally, we don't have the manifesto of the Nashville trans shooter. I even hate to use that term. It allows these maniacs to seem grander than they are. And look, when these people go off and engage in this, They're both um, irrational, but evil, because I think they know they're killing people. This person did know they were going to kill people. They wanted to uh, kill as many as they possibly could. We don't have the full manifestos and other videos because of these people in Nashville who don't like the narrative and won't put them out. But what we do have, I'll say this, the Nashville trans shooter, if this is accurate, they're not denying it. They're not saying it is not the work of the shooter, but they won't confirm it. They're still doing this nonsense. Um, But if this is is what I believe it, this is a perfect student. Couldn't spell white privilege, but certainly murdered people because of white privilege. Now that is the new education system. I can't spell privilege, but I know white privilege, and apparently hated the finely pressed khakis of those that went to the school, the khakis. What's yeah, with the, ca- the khakis? No, I'm not, I hate the khakis, too. I got Whoa, 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 hold on. Why? I can't stand no. that look. Are we talking khaki shorts or khaki pants, too? The pants. The shorts might be okay. What are you wearing on the golf course? No, well, shorts. Khaki, yeah. like khaki-colored shorts, though? Yeah, yeah, that's... Uh, so you'll wear khaki-colored golf shorts, but you're against the khaki shorts. I don't shorts. think I would wear khaki color, though. I have other color, but anyhow. Wait, wait, your jacket's almost khaki. No, it's not. This is a fine YouTube.com slash Ed Dom Show. Tweet. <laughs> tweet. By the way, notice his shirt today. It's my business. Make sure I told Ro that when I left. Yeah, YouTube.com slash at 12th WPHD. Go like and subscribe. Back and, uh, to the khakis. I particularly can't stand it when guys wear a pair of khakis with a dress jacket. You can't be wearing khakis with that. Wait, it looks can- nice. That's Thurston Howell. The- khakis with a brown belt, a blue oh, jacket. Oh, yeah. That's Thurston Howell third. It's like some tut tutting Some, uh, the- you know, boat shoes? Yeah. Uh, well, the boat shoes I'm into now, but not the- Oh, you are. Not the khakis. How about the with- hey dudes? You like the hey dudes? 
Yes, that's what mine is. The oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, you like that? Oh, you got a pair. I They're like okay. that. But the khaki with the jacket, no, you got to stop it. It's just off. I, I just can't. It's almost as bad as white pants with it. Anyhow. <laughs> All right. David O., who's going to be Don here Johnson, at uh, 1 o'clock today. Now, David O. has run a very good campaign, as he told us early on what he did. By the way, I voted uh, today already. And where I vote, the two, two observations, the machine creaks, even though it's touchscreen. Uh, every time I hit a Republican, it's like, oh, we haven't been hit. Don't hit us. It's, a fre- it's like I, for nostalgia's yes, sake. I see a fresh picture here, and I'm hitting uh, uh, Carluccio. Oh, that hasn't been hit around here. And there was. Now, this is a disturbing sign. The Working Families Party had not one but two representatives there. And they wanted to uh, fill me on on Kendra Brooks. I, I'm not the type of guy that says, you got to be kidding me. Do I look like I'm going to vote yeah, for Kendra Brooks? Yeah, tell me about Kendra Brooks. That's exactly what I, I, I almost was going to do it. But, you know, look, they're out there and they're doing their thing. And I just told them, I'm not interested. In fact, I oppose them. Have a nice day. I, I don't believe in, you know, hectoring them there. For Working Families Party, uh, were they handing out waters or anything? Well, I should have asked that. So is this where I, you know, you can be smart and say, well, is this where I get something for nothing? Yeah, right. Or I should have said, uh, well, tell me, can we really get to take the money completely away from the police? It was just a young woman doing it. If it had been somebody more aggressive, then I, yeah, I would have done that. What percentage of that party do you think are just, uh, you know, kids coming right out of college that are just... A great number. Yeah. They're all fired like 80% up. plus? Yeah. In yeah. fact, and I thought I printed it, but I got to grab it here. Story today that... RFK Jr. It's on media. Maybe you can print it. I thought I printed it. RFK Jr. is beating between those under the age of 40. Was it 45 or 40? Let's say 45. Under 45, yes. I got it. Under 45, he's murdering Trump and Biden in the swing states, in the critical states. Now, I'm not sure if they'll even get on the ballot there, but this proves my point about this guy. So this is at a big uh, New York yeah. Times Siena College poll. It shows that an average of data gathered from Georgia, yeah, Arizona, right. Michigan, Pennsylvania, Nevada, and Wisconsin. Kennedy has 34% support base with voters aged 18 to 29. Also 31% yeah. with 30 to 44-year-old voters. Do you want Trump's numbers? Because I have no, those as no. Well. So it's under 45. He's going crazy, which proves my point. That this is all craziness. People in that age group want something fresh. It's new cockamamie that he's he's putting there he's a real threat i think he's more of a threat still by a hair to biden but i i gotta see the numbers here to see if that's the case that's an astounding percentage that's the highest any third party because all those other states they don't matter who cares what he gets in california we know how it's going to go already it doesn't matter what matters is what he gets in these swing states I have to get the breakdown, see what he gets in Pennsylvania. But um, you think uh, there's a crossover between Working Family Party and uh, RFK supporters? Ooh, he's not quite like that. So, but yeah, this idea, loving conspiracy, wanting something radical, something different in that regard. Uh, yeah, it's out there. It's it's sad to me that we're seeing this play out. Really sad. All right, so David O, though, who'll be here at 1 today, National Review, he goes after the Philadelphia Republican Party. Let me tell you why he's right. Candidate for mayor, David O. 
he has cobbled together over the 10, 12, 14 years I've known him. He must do 200 events a year of all these smaller groups, immigrant groups. He's cobbled together maybe 40 to 50,000 of these people who are probably going to vote today. But the Republican Party in Philadelphia and the Vince Fennerty guy can come on. He can come in studio. We'll have it out. They're the reason why. Look, the Democrats, we get it in Philadelphia. It's in the water to vote Democrat. But the Republican leadership, not good. So David O. Dan says to the National Review, most of the people in this city, they hate Republicans. And if you just say free lunch, they're going to vote for you, meaning Democrats. He also said, quote, we have two white guys that nobody ever heard of that are not going into any of the city's diverse communities until like maybe three weeks ago. And that doesn't work. All right. <laughs> right on the money. I think he is. Yeah. You got to face facts. Look. I am not going to come out a Republican, Republican, Republican. I mean, isn't that part of the Trump movement? Isn't that part of what the Trump movement is about? Pushing back against these establishment Republicans. And in Philadelphia, the Vince Fennerties of the world and these other clowns, that's what they are. They sit around all day hacking up the crumbs that the Democrats are left over. So uh, Fennerty is quoting here, well, I got 120,000 Republicans. Sure you do, buddy. Sure you do. And he says if they lose both at large seats today, that could be the end of the Republican Party in Philadelphia. No, what I hope happens if they do is that David O then becomes the chairman. And then the Republican Party might be like a phoenix. They might be somewhat uh, viable. My God. So he's here at one o'clock. You'll hear from him directly. Does that stun you? Dom, you're not supposed to say that. You're supposed to say Vince Fennerty. No, no, no. Vince Fennerty is like Mitch McConnell on McConnell's worst day. That's what Vince Fennerty's like. No offense to the problems Mitch McConnell's had recently. That's you, Vince. My God. Well, how do you expect him to win? Well, I expect him to win by not pretending. That's how you win. And these guys are never going to win anything in Philadelphia. They may not ha- might not have a council seat. After 8 o'clock tonight. All right, side question today. We had several that we were working up, but we noticed we got a great guest who's written some of the best books about what Israelis really are all about. He's got a new one coming out. Dan Sr., former uh, Defense Department official. He's here at 1230. And, of course, Dan Borowski, who's written none of those books. About <laughs> great producers. nothing to his name. All right. So we're asking... <laughs> For all time and real or fictional, remember it can be fictional at the end of your call. All time dance, real or fictional. So we'll or take, Daniels. We'll take a, we'll, yeah. we'll, will we take the last name, Daniels' last name? Yeah, we can take okay. that too. Daniels, Dan, and Dan. I like it. Yeah, so okay. I'll take Lieutenant Dan off because Aww. I know that that is probably the number one answer. Or Daniel in the Lions' Den. Mm. That's one of my all-time favorites. That's like uh, being uh, uh, in talk radio and being in Philadelphia every day. That's Daniel in the Lion's Den. So, Dan, how about yours? I'm going to take a all-time great song uh, written by Kenny Logginsoff. How about okay. Danny's song? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Danny's song. Okay. Uh, behind us, you hear uh, some Dan Fogelberg with Same Old Lying Scene. And uh, I just butchered that. Wow, I'm talking too fast here. 
And uh, I'm going to take an actor off as well, related to Philadelphia, always sunny in Philadelphia, an all-time great comedic to- uh, television show, Danny DeVito. Yes. All-time short list. Short people. We've never done that. Oh, that's a great one. All right, I'm writing that yeah. down. That might be on tomorrow if we uh, don't short people. Um, Coming up, got to play you. George Norcross goes on Newsmax, the Repub- Democrat power broker, to attack the Philadelphia Eagles. Then at the end, though, Dan, he says, I still love the Eagles. I bleed green. I'm hoping they're in the Super Bowl. You may remember... He was uh, removed from uh, the link with prejudice on Sunday because of that Israeli flag. Oh, you'll hear what he says about it. The Eagles have said, hey, you were removed because you were physically and verbally abusive. We're not going to have that. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Tom Giordano's show. We'll uh, bring you George Norcross in a moment. Uh, I just saw on uh, Mediaite, Roger Waters was on with uh, Glenn Greenwald. Probably decided to come on with him. Wanted to ask this question. I I get Roger Waters. I get the... Uh, resume of what he's done, etc. But uh, on this um, interview today, he denied knowing, he said, we can't know, the Israelis are making it up, what Hamas did. I tried to look at the art of a person, if possible, or if they're an athlete, I try to zone in on that. But you know what? This creep has crossed a line here. He really has. He's anti-Semitic. And now he's using the Dodge, Roger Waters again, that we can't know what Hamas did. A friend of mine just witnessed from the uh, tape. You'll see it on media, I think. And I know you just got that one. So, you know, we'll give it, we'll give it a rest. With Waters? Oh, you got no, no, I got Norcross. Sorry, Norcross, I'm running yeah. one behind here, Dom. I, I know this is. I'll get to uh, you at Waters this here is, too as well. I, I, but before you do that, though, mm-hmm. can you divorce? Look, I, I don't think uh, there's almost no public figure, maybe Dolly Parton, who got into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. If I'm in charge of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, I don't know about that. Eminem get, is this year's class, the great Eminem. I'm not letting Taylor Swift. Oh. she's not a rock and roller. She That's deserves to be the in the Hall of Fame. Now, my Hall of Fame is very, very tough. There would only be about half of the people in the Baseball Hall of Fame now, maybe three-quarters. You're not getting in. Scott Rowland, a Hall of Famer, he's the very dif- definition of the Hall of Good, not Hall of Fame. <laughs> really? So um, Taylor Swift deserves to be in there, though. Uh, yeah. But uh, even Dolly Parton knew she shouldn't be in that Hall of Fame. So we'll, we'll get to that. Like too, ABBA's too. in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, they're they not, they're not rock and roll. Right, exactly. Yeah. Blondie, well, Blondie's rock and roll. The great Eminem is not rock and roll. Yeah. I'd love to interview that guy. I just can't. 
I get it so much so of what Marshall, he's saying. take us back to 8 Mile. Yeah, that's right. I get what he's saying. The music, the moment, the big moment, the whole thing. He's a competitor. Now, of course, he's socially abhor- abhorrent. But So here's a question, Dan. How far do we go at putting aside the baggage? Let's say that, like Tiger Woods. Hard for me. For Luke, he still loves Tiger Woods. It's too much. You know what type of guy he really is, That I, based upon what I can tell. I see his artistry. He's beyond belief, right? How much can you put up with, say it's a rock star, an Eagles player, or whatever? Maybe my tolerance level is low. I, I can't root for them. You know? It's not going to mess up the whole team. Waters, though, is a stone-cold anti-Semite. He's claiming in this interview we'll play that just came down. We can't know what Hamas did. And by the way, he said they had every right to do it, whatever they did. Can you imagine? How can you sit there and listen to this guy's music? I would argue, Dan, his uh, a musician, I have less tolerance for because part of their art is sensitivity, is, is all that, right? A, a football player or something, it's like, oh, God. You know? But... If they've uh, uh, Michael Vick, I think Michael Vick's a redeemed guy. I could root for him. I've interviewed him, and that's my sense. But what he did to those animals, how could I root for Michael Vick at Eagles quarterback at that point? At that point when he first came back, how could you? I've dug myself out of the hole, and I'm ready to go with any clip, either one. Okay, yeah, but I'm asking you to. Well, what's your line? Yeah, what's it's a, it's tough because. You know, I like someone I, I always look at when we talk about this is it's Bill Cosby because Bill Cosby did absolutely aberrant right. things, but also on the other side for the black community, he showed for the first time on television, mm-hmm. on primetime television, what it was to be a middle class, uh, you know, black yeah. fr- family, middle high class black family. Uh, so, so you got to recognize Bill Cosby's greatness, I think, even though he did this kind of stuff. If you separate the art from the, you know, off the screen, so it, it's. A lot of times I find myself in today's world, it's tough because there is so much on the Internet, so much in the past being dug up that I think if you talk about anyone, if if you go look hard enough, you'll find something you don't like. I I can't I can't root for Bill Cosby's art or as a comedian. I can't sit there and laugh, though. I, I wouldn't. But I think he got a raw deal given the legal system as far as what he signed up and then what the woman did. That's where my support comes in. But to go to Bill Cosby's comedy. Yeah, if he was having a live show, yeah. yeah, that'd be pretty tough. Like giving yeah. him money, yeah. I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah, so let's, let's hear um, Waters, who I, I'd say is in the pantheon, top 100 all time, maybe, with Pink Floyd. Would you agree? Top 100 at least? Oh, I think uh, much top higher Top 50, than that. maybe. Maybe top 20. Top 20, yeah. okay. Listen to what he did with Glenn Greenwald, and Greenwald even, Dan, who, you know, is, um, I like him, trying to give some space to him. But saying, are you kidding me? Listen to uh, Roger Waters, who was featured at Penn's Palestine Writers Conference right before October 7th. Listen to what he just said. Well, what I'm asking about, though, is do you think what Hamas did on October 7th can be justified? Well, we don't, A, we don't know what they did do, oh, but God. Did, oh, come on. God. was it justified for them to resist the occupation? Yeah. But it, again, it's what you said, it's the Geneva Conventions. They are absolutely legally and morally bound to resist the occupation since oh. 1967. 
It's an obligation. But are there limits on the way in which they can resist? I, as I said in the, in the um, statement that I put out after it, I said, if war crimes were committed, I condemn them. I, and, condemn, I don't and, care who it is. Who and here, here we crimes. are now three weeks or so after. Do you think there's been evidence that's emerged that suggests they committed those? There may have been individuals. What I, I was reading a news story this morning, which uh, Grey Zone, uh, our uh, friend Max Blumenthal. Uh -huh. So there's a long story which I read this morning, but they've ha Arats have finally come out with figures of how many people were actually killed and who they were on that they, day. Uh -huh. On that day, yeah. yeah. And so probably the first 400 were Israeli military personnel. Who are? That is not a war crime. No, clearly everyone thinks military officials and military targets or soldiers in Israel are well, military targets. Well, depends if you believe in the Geneva Conventions or not. Or, right. Or the, or, or the United Nations. But what about targeting civilians no, or abducting you, no, of them? Course, no, of course. No, of course not. No, right. of course I don't condone that. Or, but the thing was was thrown out of all proportion by the Israelis the making thing, up stories thing. about beheading babies. They even got the President of the United States, dotard that he is, to claim that he had seen photographs. Of the beheaded babies. Of the beheaded babies. Yeah. And then admitted that he and actually didn't. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, you, you know, it's, it's. But what we do know is. All right. Well, let's stop here. Let's stop here. The revulsion what? building up. We need to do some unpacking. We do know it's not just goofy Biden, and Glenn Greenwald. As much Dan as I like some things with Tucker Carlson, there are lines that are crossed here with this clown. It's a big interview, a big get with this anti-Semite. We do know what they did. And he said something there that Greenwald should have picked up on, Dan. I would have in a heartbeat. I'd be out of the chair right in his head. But anyhow. And that is, this was not, he said some comment there and he moved past quickly, individuals. It wasn't individuals. That's the whole point. This was their tactic. You don't like my interviewing style, Bill? <laughs> yeah, this is their tactic. It's not just in the course of war, some outliers savage people this is what they wanted to do they're proud of it it was the tactic they put it on social media we have it on their body cams we have it on their social media this is what they will always do this is what they will continue to do and for penn to allow this clown to come in roger waters with the palestine writer with these other anti-semites that's the original sin. It's not just post-October 7th. So we're one month in, and we're still continuing with these people as if we're dealing with rationality and civility. We're not. He's an anti-Semite. There's no getting around saying you don't know. What kind of evidence do we need? And then as he gets drawn out, he does know, and he thinks, yeah, he can justify this because of what's been done to the poor Palestinians. You had something? A little off topic here, but uh, you, you send me often Glenn Greenwald clips. And uh, is there a more dweebier member of media <laughs> than him? <laughs> All right, I want to take a quick call. We have a guest, but I want to get Bill a shot here in West Grove. All right, Bill, give me your immediate reaction. 
hey, Dominica, Roger Waters doesn't really deserve a platform of any kind. I partied with these guys back in the 60s and stuff, and I played with Sting and Paige and Plant and everybody, and I listened to you guys about Dan's you know, comments on music and stuff, and I enjoy it. But at the same time, I really know what went down. He's always been hung up with stuff, and it shows in his music, and they shouldn't give him any platform at all because he's biased, he's liberal, and hateful human being he could never get along with with david or or rick or, or nick mason and stuff he's one of the reasons floyd broke up he's a he's a hard individual to get to to be with um very hard very hard to get along i with. hear you well and thank I, you thank you bill i'm glad that you're uh, a listener uh, oh, Dom, I'm with you all the time, and I'll always be glad to come in and comment on any of the past rock and roll. I partied with these guys at the Electric Factory back in the day, man, and with the Who and everybody, and uh, I know them all, man. And all right, you guys got some stories, Dom. We'll be calling on you there, yes. too. Yeah, uh, particularly, Bill, don't, calling, don't tell Dan any of those groupie stories. <laughs> all right. Um, we'll talk with... Um, Really uh, great uh, writer, Dan Sr., former um, Defense Department official. He's got a new book out about what motivates. Let's put it this way. What is the spirit of Israel? And let's contrast that with the spirit of Hamas here that we just had with Roger Waters. What's their spirit? Well, Israel is about life. Hamas and their Confederates, they're the spirit of death. Can you imagine Penn bringing Roger Waters in? And you just heard him with Glenn Greenwald. My God. I I can separate in some cases. I may not like the artist. I can put up with a little bit, but not anything like this. Dan Senor has been my guest before. I think the book uh, Startup Nation, that's the sense I got when I went to Israel the one time. The new book, though, The Genius of Israel. We talk about how timely... What is it that, uh, I mean, routinely, now, look, I know surveys are surveys, that when these surveys on happiness come up, up, Israel is one of the happiest places in the world. How could that be when you're surrounded by what we saw on October 7th? Uh, Dan is with us here on uh, Talk Radio 1210. Hey, Dan, welcome back. Another great book. Very timely. Thank you, Dom. Thanks for having me. Uh, your background a little bit, too, other than as a writer. You were in the Defense Department. When? What yeah. administration? 2003-2004, the George W. Bush administration. I worked in the U.S. Senate in the 1990s, and then I was uh, uh, went out of government and got roped back in uh, after September 11th. I was asked to join the administration uh, as after September 11th, as it looked like we were heading into Afghanistan and Iraq. And I, uh, mm-hmm. I took this position in the Pentagon that had me base in Qatar during major combat operations, then a little bit in Kuwait, and then I deployed to Baghdad with the civilian reconstruction team and lived in Baghdad for 15 months. So, Dan, to the point I was just making, we played Roger Waters, who was here in Philadelphia at Penn. It caused a stir in another interview we just did today, post-Hamas. Uh, mm-hmm. And how could Israel, what is it is th- that's the secret sauce, we're in the happiness rankings, and what I saw there, people were not overly, you know, worried every day about their security, given what we know, and we know even more now. Yeah, so it's it's a great question, and one that that Saul Singer, who my co-author, who lives in Jerusalem, had been wrestling with. Um, people feel, uh, like, first of all, we tend to think happiness comes with 
life is great. Life is simple. Life is luxurious. Life is about full of convenience and no friction and, and no dysfunction. And what when we dug into the research, we found, no, 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 people can deal with difficulty. People can deal with challenges. People can deal with friction. What makes them unhappy and lead, makes them feel like they're leading an unsatisfactory life is that they feel that they don't have a purpose. They don't have meaning in their life. They don't have a sense of ownership of their life, of their community, of their country, that their that their role matters. You know, Sebastian Younger, who's this longtime war correspondent, not Jewish, who has spent a lot of time with American military all over the world in war zones. We interviewed him for the book. He has this great quote where he says, people don't mind hard work. What they what they mind is not feeling necessary. And the problem with the modern world, the modern wealth, wealthy world, is we've made people feel not necessary. Israel is an exception to that. In Israel, everybody feels necessary. And we write about different stages in Israeli history where you see the way the country calls on every part of the society so everyone feels that they have a part. And you're seeing that right now, post-October 7th, where the whole country, you know, the reserve call-up, calling up these reserves, the IDF normally overshoots in the reserve call-ups. They, they call up too many people because they never know what turnout is going to be like. The actual turnout has been about between 120 to 150 percent. Everyone's turning out. Everyone is necessary or wants to feel necessary. And so if you look at the way Israeli society is organized, and I can go through some of these parts of Israeli society, it's all geared around everybody feeling like they're a part of it. They're not going into the little echo chambers. They're not leading atomized lives. They feel that they're part of something. They're part of their family. They're part of their community. And they feel part of their country. And they feel that they have a role in it. That makes them happy even in the middle of a war. Yeah, well, that's what I witnessed, too. Uh, that's exactly uh, it, Dan. So what about, though, and you answer this, the hurdle of domestically, you know, Netanyahu, the Supreme Court, all these protests, it seems to be a lot of agita there. How is that uh, united in one purpose? Yeah, it's a great question. So on October 6th, the cut, what you saw in Israel was the peak uh, or maybe the depth, I'd call it, actually, the t- the depth of Israeli division, right? October 6th, meaning from basically January 2023 through October 6th, it was the depth of Israeli division, which means Israelis disagree deeply. Now, when you look at Israeli society and you say it's really polarized, and it looks no different than polarization in the United States or polarization in the U.K., pre- and post-Brexit, or the polarization in France, where hundreds of thousands of people are storming the streets, violent protests over the last year. There's political polarization all over the world. So why is Israel different? And what we argue in the book is Israel's not immune to political polarization. The difference is Israel has these societal shock absorbers built into its system, built into its society, that even when it they disagree intensely. They don't ultimately go off the edge. They don't tear the country apart. So what are some of those societal shock absorbers? One, national service, the military. Almost every Israeli during formative years in their lives, 18, 19, 20, 21, have to serve in the military. And we argue in the book that that is a much better experience than the kind of experiences our kids are getting these days in American college campuses. In the in the national service program, A, you develop great leadership and management experience, and we go through what that is in the book, what kind of experiences these kids are getting, and you are integrated 
with people from all walks of life. So in your unit, you mm-hmm. are dealing with their sons of a cab driver and a son of a billionaire. And doesn't matter. You all have to serve. And they serve for three years or longer. And then they have reserve duty until into their 40s. And they're getting together every year for a couple of weeks to be with that unit. So here are people who live in completely, some secular, some religious, some affluent, some impo- living in homes of poverty, you know, some Jews from North Africa and some Jews from the United States. They're all living together, forced to live together. The former Israeli IDF chief of staff, General Kochabi, said to us, we interviewed him, and he said, when you're in the hull of a tank together, there is no polarization, right? You, you, in other words, you can disagree, but mm-hmm. you, you realize you're part of the same fight and you're part of the same family. So the military experience brings people together. The Shabbat, we write in the book, we call, uh, we, we have a chapter called Thanksgiving Every Week, where we lay out that Israelis every Friday night have the equivalent of a, of a, of a Thanksgiving, where a family gets together usually multiple generations, every Friday night from secular to religious, over 70% of Israelis celebrate Shabbat. They come together as a family. But while they're having that experience, they know the entire country or most of the country is doing the same thing. So there's a sense of a ritual for your family, and that experience is being shared by the entire country. Well, now, Dan, I, Dan I, I, I witnessed that. We landed yeah. when we landed in Jerusalem. I think it was around three or four o'clock in the afternoon. It was like, my God, what's happening? Everybody's getting out of Dodge. I mean, right. the whole was, country oh, shuts down. God. And this is Jerusalem. Yeah. Right. Right. The whole country shuts down. Mm-hmm. And so I say, to, I say to my American friends, I say, look, communities don't create ritual. Ritual create communities. When there's a ritual, communities get formed around it. So I say to my, my American friends, tell me one ritual that you know you experience with your family on a regular basis that you know that not only experiencing with your family, but the whole country is experiencing it. And they all say Thanksgiving, which is why we call it the Thanksgiving every week. So they say, I say, okay, Thanksgiving. That's good. By the way, I, I agree with that. That's once a year. I said, give me a second one. Now, usually they get stuck on the second one and then they can't come up with one. But what they usually say for the second one is the Super Bowl. Yes. That's you know Super Bowl parties, which is <laughs> yeah. I know I'm a huge football fan, so I I like I get it. I'm into Super Bowls, so let's just take that. That's twice a year. I said, imagine that kind of experience where the whole country is experiencing something at the same time, along with their families, every single week. So it suddenly again brings people together, slows people down, gets people around the table who normally don't agree with each other, and and you you feel like you're part of not just your own little family project, your own little individual career track, you get off the treadmill and say, wait, I'm part of a national experience and a national project, and I own a piece of it. This is mine, and I can shape it, and I can touch history, as one of the people we interviewed in the book says. In Israel, every Israeli feels that they can shape the country's history. They can touch history. That gives them a sense of belonging and ownership, which, again, also contributes to happiness. Well, without a doubt. Uh, You mentioned, too, in here, we constantly see this, and I think it's a real thing in America, dance, uh, loneliness. And yeah. uh, I'm sure there is some in Israel. I mean, I was only there for eight days. But I think uh, the things you're mentioning, they pervade against that overwhelming feeling of isolation and loneliness. Yeah, so that is exactly right. Israel has among the lowest numbers of loneliness uh, anywhere in the world, anywhere in the OECD. Israel has the lowest uh, reported rates of mental health crises, teen mental health. So the CDC, this this really broke my heart. I'm, I'm, the 
parent of teenagers. Um, a few months before the book came out, the CDC came out with a big report saying there's a crisis, not just of teen mental health in this country, in the United States, but of teen suicide. Now, I never thought I would say epidemic of teen suicide. It's just horrific to think. And it's a real thing. And it predated the pandemic of teens actually taking their lives or trying to take their lives. We went and looked at the data. Israel has the lowest, actually the lowest teen suicide rate in the OECD, meaning in the in the Western world. So why is that, right? So some experts say, well, the reason there's a teen mental health and teen suicide crisis in the United States, like Derek Thompson, who's a writer for the for the uh, Atlantic, who's written extensively about this, he says, he quotes all these psychologists who say, well, look at, look at what these teenagers are dealing with in the United States, right? They're dealing with constant worries about climate change, constant worries about gun violence, constant worries about political polarization, and they spend too much time scrolling on their phones, doom scrolling. You know, reading about bad stuff. I was like, okay, so Israelis are no less subjected to to hysteria about climate change. Kids, Israeli kids, Israelis certainly know a thing or two about gun violence, right? Because at 18 years old, they most of them go serve and they actually have guns and they are put in dangerous situations. And as we've seen on October 7th, they're subjected to real threats and they know that their parents live in fear of getting that knock on the door that their child has been killed. And many of them have friends. We write about these experiences, these friend groups, where one of the friends, teenagers, has lost someone due to terrorism or in combat mm-hmm. and how these friendships form among young people. You want to talk about violence having an effect on your psyche? Israel is has it in extremis. And Israel has political polarization, as you said, based on what we saw over the last year. And Israeli kids have smartphones, so they have access to social media. So that cannot be the explanation for for teen mental health, I think, crisis. I think the way Israel, the way, the reason Israel has eluded much of the teen mental health crisis is because young people feel connected to one another. They feel connected to the country. They feel they have a role in the country. And that gives them meaning. And that a sense of meaning is the and purpose and the, and and they're part of a country with a purpose is the ultimate antidote to loneliness and you know feeling disconnected and leading an atomized life. Absolutely, uh, Dan. Again, uh, I love Startup Nation. That's exactly the feeling. I, I broadcast out of the university in Haifa, and oh, wow. uh, I had this uh, young woman uh, showing me an X-ray machine. It was going to be in rural areas, the size of a Coke can. Of course, yeah. she had a story about Bill Clinton um, that we'll, we'll put on the yeah. air, and I won't go through now uh, when he saw it. She was beautiful. And yeah. I just had a sense there, there in MIT, of this relentless innovation and discovery, what they've done to the desert, et cetera, and the sadness of seeing this is just not going to break through, at least unless you differ uh, with the other side here. Do you differ? Do you think this can uh, make its way through to helping uh, resolve some of this. Look, I think what we're seeing, I mean, right now with the current yes. reaction to what's yes. happening, I think what we're experiencing right now, sadly, is an expression of the oldest hatred, which is anti-Semitism. It's the oldest hatred. It goes back 2,000 years. You type into Google the word anti-Semitism and, and, and plus add the words of any century, any century, the 19th century, the 18th century, the 17th century, and you will see massive waves of anti-Semitism in every century in history. And that is why, you know, anti-Semitism has been so persistent and we're seeing it now. It's being expressed in a different way, but it's the same 
it's the same phenomenon. We I have a, I have a podcast in which I recently the last couple of episodes have tried to explain the origins of anti-Semitism, and it really is this new thing, this new expression of it. Whether it's tearing down the posters of the children hostages, whether it's chanting from the river to the sea, which you translate to that means eliminating all Jews in Israel, the highest concentration of Jews in the world. I mean, these are just modern versions of expressing a very old hatred. And I just think we, you know, the, the, the problem, Dom, is that I think people tend to think of Israel as the all-powerful. And in the, in, the, in, in the, you know, people simplistically want to see a frame of David's versus Goliath's, and that they want to believe that it's all about the, the powerless and the powerful. And they've decided that Israel is the powerful against the powerless. When in reality is, if you look at the region Israel lives in, it has a genocidal terror organization on its southern border as we learned on October 7th. It has a genocidal terrorist organization on its northern border with Hezbollah, and you have other groups who have similar agendas. And then you have Iran nearby that is funding and arming and orchestrating a lot of this. Israel is is, is a powerful country, but relative to that, what country in the world has been subjected to being surrounded by that and have those forces arrayed against it? None. Israel's the only one in the world. It is absolutely relative to those threats, the powerless, and we just we have to start getting people to understand the bigger picture here. This is not just about Israel versus Hamas or Israel and the Palestinians. If you believe that, you have a very one-dimensional uh, understanding of what's going on. Absolutely. Dan, thank you so much. The book, The Genius of Israel, The Surprising Resilience of a Divided Nation in a Turbulent uh, World, available all over the place. And boy, you talk about heavy hitters, even in the mainstream media with this, Dan. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And I, I appreciate your, your spending, having spent time in Israel. It's terrific. Thank you, Dan. All right. Thanks. Dan Senor here on Talk Radio 1210. Dante Dano Show. And Dan, that plays into the side question today, what we're looking for, that song. Yeah, it's Dan and Shay. We're looking for Dan's, Danny's, Daniel's, last name of Daniel's, real or fictional. It can be a product. It can be a, a name of a song, movie. It can be whatever. It just has to include the name Dan in it somewhere. Let's go to Walt and Delco. All right, Walt, uh, what do you have on the side question today? Dan Faulkner. Hmm. All right, yeah, that's uh, definitely a good one. Danny Faulkner, we'll put that on the list. That's what we'll be looking for. All right, coming up, we're going to talk with David O. Uh, He ran a great campaign as far as there's no infrastructure coming from the Republican Party. And uh, we'll get his thoughts on that campaign. He also told the National Review what he thought of the local Republican Party. And then I want to put on your radar screen a new police commissioner. Listen to what he wrote, just a snippet of it. He's talking about out there in the township of Marple or Marple Township. How many, and I'm looking at the mugshots just in October, Philadelphia residents and or people from Ecuador, he has in here, came to shoplift in Marple. And guess what? In one case, it was only $110. They went after them like they would go after if you robbed a million. That's what's going to happen. Are the suburbs, and he calls out Philadelphia and Larry Krasner, are the suburbs going to find a way to push back against Krasner? Trust me on this. It's going to take the entire area to fight this guy. You're not going to do it just because you wish it. He's sitting there rubbing his glasses and saying, I'm going to do whatever I want. 
We're realizing he affects not just Philadelphia. You can't ward Krasnerland into Philadelphia. He wants more living space. Let him go 10 years from now. He'll be out there in rural Pennsylvania. What the hell happened? Krasner. That's what happened. (laughs) Krasnerland. He's all over. I coined it, and that's what it is. You can't fence it in. You got to fight it. That's all next year on Talk Radio 1210. Dom Giordano, weekdays noon till 3. From Talk Radio 1210, WPHD.